You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Everybody was shocked when Saul of Tarsus got saved. God said to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. You got somebody in your life that's hardened, hardened. Whether they're an outright rebel or whether they're caught up in religion and they're so religiously callous that you you can't even talk to them about a need to repent because I don't need to repent. Are there people you love in your life that you're convinced that they'll never believe in Jesus and be saved? Their hearts are hardened by religion and ritual, or maybe they're really deep in rebellious, sinful living. It's really easy to give up praying and pleading for God to grab a hold of them. It can be so discouraging to think that those prayers will never be answered. But today, Pastor Danny implores you to not give up praying. God saves even the worst of sinners and the hardest of hearts. He's always working. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Romans chapter 11 as he begins his message, Hope, even for the most hardened. Romans chapter 11 is where we are. Romans chapter 11. Chapter 10 opened with the statement that Israelites, for the most part, are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. They have rejected a righteousness by grace through faith. They've rejected Jesus as the Messiah for the most part. And so they have zeal for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. They missed the simplicity of the truth in Jesus. And then last week it ended, uh, the end of chapter 10 is the vital importance of us sharing the gospel no matter what the culture is, no matter what the culture, because the gospel message, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus is the only message, the only message that'll save someone's soul. And we've been given that responsibility and that privilege to share Jesus with the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whosoever believes in him should not perish. And if you die without Jesus, you will perish. Hell is a real place. And damnation is predicted for all who reject the salvation offered only in Jesus. And that's why it's vital that we're willing to share with the world. And then he gave us two very broad fields of potential harvest for the gospel message. One is, he uses Israel as an example. Nobody more privileged spiritually, nobody more privileged to have the revelation of God than the Jewish people. 
God could have chosen any people, but he chose the Jewish people. He created a whole people, a whole nation to reveal himself to with the intention of them revealing him to the world. Nobody more privileged than the nation of Israel and the people of Israel. We have a Jewish Messiah. All the revelation about God came initially to and through the Jewish people. But they're stubborn. I didn't say that. A couple of times in the scriptures, uh, God reminds Israel, you're a stiff-necked people. Exodus 32, verse 9, God said to Moses, I've seen these people, they're a, they're a stiff-necked people. So why would God choose such a stiff-necked people? To show his grace and mercy. Deuteronomy 9, 13, same thing. New Testament, first martyr of the early church, a guy named Stephen. He's, he's preaching a message to his Jewish brothers and sisters. He gives them their history, and he shows them how they repeatedly have rejected the Holy Spirit. And he says, you uncircumcised people, uncircumcised hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. He got him killed. So two broad fields of potential harvest. One is people that aren't seeking God. They aren't looking for God. They're not attending church, uh, and yet God sends a messenger. And they get gloriously saved. That's verse 20 of chapter 10, and we're going into chapter 11. But look at verse 20 of chapter 10. Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. All of a sudden, God sends a messenger, and whether it's the drug addict or the prostitute or the outright rebel, all of a sudden, the messenger shows up. Hey, God wants to forgive you if you just repent. And they repent, and God forgives them. And they get gloriously saved. That was me. That was me. Now, on the other hand, you get verse 21. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Jesus said, how many times I would have gathered you, but you weren't willing. And the hardest people to reach for Jesus are religious people. They're the hardest people to reach. Easiest people. Those that know they got a problem. I mean, you go to the drug addict, prostitute, and outright rebel, you know, and hey, God wants to forgive you. Really? Yeah, just turn. Come home. <laughs> okay. And they do. But religious people, I mean, they got their butt print in the pew of the church. They grew up in church, and they've been hearing it over and over and over again, but they're stuck in a religious rut. But God loves them just as much. And so he calls people to go to the religious world. He calls people to go to the more fertile places for God to love the world, the whole world. But you got two broad fields of potential harvest. One, people not seeking God, and all of a sudden he shows up, and they get gloriously saved. Another one, religious people are just stuck in their ways, and they're hard to reach. And that opens chapter 11. I ask them, did God reject his people? By no means. And then the guy God's using to write this letter, this book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. There's no Jew more Jewish than Saul of Tarsus. There's no one more zealous for God in their history, in their life, than Saul of Tarsus. He said, in regard to legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. In regard to zeal, nobody compared. But he wasn't saved. And he was actually persecuting people who believed Jesus was the Messiah. And not only having him thrown in jail, he was having them killed. And he said, did God reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. If you read the story about Saul's salvation, 
in the book of Acts, after he gets saved on the road to Damascus, trying to persecute more followers of Jesus, and then he gets gloriously saved, when he shows up back in Jerusalem and tries to join the church in Jerusalem, they wouldn't have him. They thought he was faking. They thought he was using it as a ploy to get inside to persecute more of them. They initially wouldn't accept him at all. Everybody was shocked when this guy got saved. He was shocked when he got saved. But he said, I'm an Israelite, descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I've reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. That was one of the false gods that Israel ended up worshiping. So too, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. If you care, there are six points. First section, what would I say? I would say this. Zealous, religious, yet disobedient and obstinate people are still being saved. Now, God says that through Paul here, the apostle, in the context of an Old Testament story. that happened in the ministry of Elijah the prophet. You'll find it in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19, one of my favorite stories. But if you read it, you will understand that the culture during that time of Elijah's ministry, the culture was... Well, it was tough. It was a tough time to be called to go and minister. And Elijah was called. Israel still caught up in their religious ways, but they, they still proud to be Israelites, but they had, they had succumbed to acting like the culture of the other nations. They were worshiping other gods like Baal and Asherah. They were involved in sexual sin, etc., Etc., etc. The king at the time, his name's Ahab. He's a piece of work. I don't think you'll find another king in the Bible more wicked than King Ahab. But if you think he was bad, <laughs> his bride, her name's Jezebel. Jezebel, you read the story, Jezebel was worse than her husband. As a matter of fact, she encouraged him in his wickedness. You put the scenario together, it's a husband and wife team, and the wife is saying, oh, you're out of drugs, I'll go find you some more. She encouraged him in his wickedness. What a pair. And, and they weren't serving the God of Israel at all, even though they're Israelites. And the false prophets, the ones who were admonishing people and encouraging them to worship Asherah and Baal, Jezebel, get this, you read the story, Jezebel is providing for them. She's providing their sustenance. They eat at her table. That's what it says. And there were 850 false prophets. 400 of one, 450 of the other. He put the Asherah and the Baal false prophets together. 850. And Elijah is called to go and stand for God and stand for truth against the wickedness and the idolatry of the day. And so <laughs> it's an amazing story. God says, Elijah, I want you to pray. And when you pray, uh, I want you to pray that it doesn't rain in the land. He prays it don't rain. It didn't rain for three and a half years. 
Famine in the land. What's God doing? He's trying to dry things up to get people's attention so that they'll look to heaven and get right with God. God's providing supernaturally for Elijah. Again, it's a great story. Read it to your kids. God's sending ravens, these birds. Elijah is hiding out. Why is he hiding out? Because Jezebel is killing all of the Lord's prophets. And Elijah is on her list, and so he's hiding. And God's providing supernaturally for him. The famine starts as a result of his prayer. Ravens are bringing him food. He's hiding out by a brook, but over time, the brook dries up because the famine gets more severe. And then God says, okay, go to Zarephath. I got a widow there. She's going to take care of you. And God does a miracle through this widow of Zarephath for her and Elijah. And then God says, okay, it's time. It's time. I want you to go present yourself publicly and challenge all the idolatry of the day. And he does. And he says, go tell all the false prophets, 850 of them to show up and meet me on Mount Carmel. You talk about a man of God. I mean, this guy is, he's a bad dude for God. And they show up. And here's Elijah, one man, one man. And he's standing against 850. That's like three times the number, four times the number in this room right now. 850 false prophets show up. And Elijah says, here's the deal. We're going to have a contest on who the true God is. And if Baal or Asherah, if they're the true God and goddess, then okay, they'll prove it. Because the God that's the true God is going to answer today by fire. They say, you're on. Let's do it. He says, you guys go first. And they go first, and they start calling out to their gods. And all of a sudden, you know, they're just crying out, but nothing happens. No fire. Hours pass. They get desperate. They begin to cut themselves. They're bleeding. They begin to jump around, and they're dancing around, and they're crying out to their gods. Nothing. The day is passing. Now we're getting towards evening. Again, the story is incredible. As it gets toward the time of the normal evening sacrifice to the God of Israel, if they were still serving the God of Israel. Now it's approaching that time, but nobody's using the altar of the Lord. It's been in disrepair. And so first thing Elijah does, he goes and he repairs the altar of the Lord. Puts the wood on. Gets ready for the sacrifice. But he says, there's one thing I want you guys to do. Go get some water. And they get buckets of water. And they doused this thing. So much so that the wood is soaked the, the little river or the little trough around uh, the thing is filled with water. It's overflowing. It is so wet. And then Elijah stepped forward and he says a simple prayer and he calls out to the God of heaven and he calls out in this simple prayer. And then all of a sudden, bam, fire comes from heaven and lifts up the sacrifice and the wood and the water. Everything's bone dry. Everything's burned up. Wow. And at that point, you would think, revival's going to break out. You know what happened? Elijah has all the false prophets killed, 850. Jezebel hears about it, and Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah. And the brunt of the message is this, if by this time tomorrow you're not dead, it'll be over my dead body. And a man who stood against 850, 50 false prophets and saw God answered by fire when he gets that threat from this wicked woman Jezebel 
he runs. And he ends up in a cave. He's discouraged. He's literally depressed. He's tired. Because the spiritual culture of the day, he lived in a day that the people in authority are killing, killing men of God. Killing them. And he's one of them. And when she threatens him, he runs for his life. Even after standing so boldly and courageously and seeing God answered by fire. (laughs) And sometimes even after the greatest spiritual experience, you can still get discouraged. I can have a great weekend. My wife will tell you, I can have a great weekend at church. It can be a great weekend. People can get saved. People can be encouraged. Great worship. And I can go home and on Monday, I can get depressed. You say, are you depressed? No, 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 but it's not Monday. (laughs) Thank God we'll be cooking out tomorrow. That'll help, right? Here's the point. I could have said point number one another way. When times are tough, when it doesn't seem like Even after you've seen God move in a powerful way, lives are really not being changed the way you'd like. Revival's not happening. Listen, don't you dare be discouraged. Because it's easy to be discouraged. And if you are discouraged, as Elijah was, God comes to him in the cave. And thank God, I love the graciousness of God. He doesn't just blast him and say, what are you doing here? Get back in and get back out there. He knew how tired he was. He knew he needed some rest, and he let him rest. And he slept, and when he woke up, God fed him. And God let him sleep some more, and when he woke up, God fed him. And then God said to him in a whisper, here's what he said, what are you you doing here? What are you doing here? And then God tells him, go back the way you came. And by the way, when you get back doing the ministry, anoint Haziel, king over Aram, anoint Yehu, king over Israel, got a new king coming. Anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. You're about to go home, but I still have a plan. And then he says, and now we're back to Romans 11, then he says, and I've got 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Everybody was shocked when Saul of Tarsus got saved. God said to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. You got somebody in your life that's hardened, hardened, whether they're an outright rebel or whether they're caught up in religion and they're so religiously callous that you you can't even talk to them about a need to repent because I don't need to repent. I go to church, I'm a nice person, pay my taxes, etc. You know, and those are the hardest people to reach. You got someone in your life that's hard. Listen, don't you give up because God's always working and God always has a plan. Anoint this person, anoint this person, anoint this person. And by the way, I got 7,000 back here. We still got people and I'm still working. Romans chapter 11, verse 7, what then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. 
David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. The idea of their backs being bent is they can't see straight. They're blind spiritually. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this second point. Zealous religious people are being saved, but understand the ones that aren't. Religious people who reject truth end up hardening spiritually blind. You got to hang with the text because there's both encouragement (laughs) and challenges. You can sit in church all you want, but if you don't do what the Word says, what will happen is you'll become a religious person. Worst place to be. Worst place to be is in a place where God can speak and it doesn't change your life. Not you people. I'm talking about people in other churches. (laughs) Verse 11, again I ask, (laughs) did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their inclusion bring? I'm going to tell you in just a minute what he's talking about. But verse 13, I'm talking to you Gentiles in as much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, which is ironic that God would take the most Jewish Jew and send him to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what would their acceptance be but life from the dead? Life from the dead. He's not talking metaphorically there. He's talking about the fulfillment of Bible prophecy that there is a coming day when all Israel is going to be saved. There's hope for even the most hardened. But there's a caveat. If you're a note taker, you write down Zechariah 12 and 13. I'm going to read you just a section of that. But Zechariah 12 and 13 is the prophecy about this coming day when all Israel in one day, in one day, will be saved. But the caveat Chapter 13 of Zechariah, verse 8. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish. Yet one-third will be left in it. This third I'll put into the fire. I'll refine them like silver. I'll test them like gold. They'll call on my name and I'll answer them. I'll say they're my people and they will say the Lord is our God. It's in the time known as the Great Tribulation. It's a seven-year period. Jesus said the things are going to be so awful on the planet, but especially in the Middle East, especially in Israel. Because one of the things God does in the Great Tribulation is purge Israel and their eyes become open. But the caveat is it's going to be the worst time, the worst time in all of the world. Jesus said in those days, no one would survive except the days were cut short. The prophecies of Revelation tell us that 50% of the worldwide population will die. Things are so bad. World war, et cetera, and all the things that come with it. And then the plagues start to fall from heaven. And two-thirds of the nation of Israel will perish in those cataclysmic days. And then, 
Once that work of purging has been done, they'll cry out to God. God will open their eyes because they're crying out to Him, and finally the blindness will be removed and they will see Jesus really is our Messiah. They'll cry out, and in one day, the whole nation will be saved. Thanks for joining us today to study the Book of Romans here on The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. You can hear this message again or more of Pastor Danny's teachings at our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on the latest videos. If you have any questions, prayer requests, or would simply like to talk with us, feel free to send us an email. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. Again, that email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you when you send us that email. If you're in or near the St. Petersburg area, we would be happy to meet you in person. We invite you to join us for our weekly church services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Check out our website for service times and all the information you need to join us. In addition to our in-person services, we also live stream each service. So don't let distance hold you back from worshiping with us this weekend. Find out more on our website. Once again, that's ccfstpete.church. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Be sure to tune in again next time as Pastor Danny continues to teach through the book of Romans right here on The Living Word.